It's now time to go around the nation in Division Three football. And here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. Thanks, Dave. Welcome back to the podcast and welcome to the playoffs. Well, welcome to the podcast, everyone, and welcome to the playoffs, 32 of you. Uh, we appreciate you downloading us and giving us a listen as we talk about week 11 and beyond now of the 2015 Division Three football season, the podcast for November 16th of 2015. Um Keith, a, a a final week of the regular season in which uh, pretty much everything that uh, we thought would happen happened. Uh, I went through and I made the relatively unprecedented decision, at least in our bracketology uh, past, of going through and predicting a winner for all of the conference races that were uh, yet to be decided, except for the uh, the NAC, which had Lakeland and Benedictine because the geography was pretty different on those and it made a difference depending on which one of those two te- uh, teams made it. But um, in all of those, kind of surprisingly, the other 10 uh, all panned out, and that made what would seem uh, to have been easy bracketology, but of course the uh, NCA never makes it easy, does it? Uh, they sure don't. I mean, this was probably one of the, I don't know if easier situations is the right way to put it, because I don't think it's ever easy. I think there's a lot of work that goes into the, selection committee process but um i think there were some things that ultimately could have been done to make this bracket a little bit more compelling and competitive but at the same time it's not a bad 32 um it's balanced there are uh, quite a quite a few teams we could envision getting to salem now especially since uh one hat one side of the bracket uh <laughs> doesn't have to go through uh, mount union or whitewater yep. um so that that alone makes it interesting but uh week tw- week 11 was was sort of uh, as you said you know if you'd read that that piece that you wrote midweek with the projections and um then you'd you know paid attention to one game and then signed on to to d3 at four or four thirty or five on saturday and you looked at all the results you'd have said, well, yeah, I didn't, I didn't need to watch games today because everything that you expected to happen uh, pretty much happened. But if you'd been paying attention from 12 or 1, um, you know, midway through some of those games, some of those games were, were really interesting and uh, and up in the air. salisbury Frostburg State's a great example. Uh, some of the rivalry games, the Cortica Jug game was, you know, had, had a baseball score, so that was in doubt the entire time. There were some games that were, that were compelling, uh, but in the end, Every result broke so that if you were one of those teams real, really far out on the bubble, you didn't get any of the results that, that you wanted and that you ultimately needed to get into the field. No, and, and you really probably were hanging on, if you were watching really closely, that Frostburg-Salisbury game, uh, you know, a game in which uh, Frostburg was up by 20 points in the fourth quarter, uh, and Salisbury comes back and bang, 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 three touchdowns in the final 13 minutes, and then has to hold on against a 57-yard field goal attempt, one which... You know, the the kicker for Frostburg had made a 50-yard field goal early, earlier in the game, so not completely out of the realm of possibility that that might have gone. And somebody else, uh, perhaps somebody who we're going to be talking about quite a bit, or at least I'm going to be talking about quite a bit in the course of this podcast, might have actually gotten in the field. And that's the great thing about Week 11 is that you boil an entire season down to these moments, I guess, that that have influence across the country because – um, if if Salisbury doesn't get in, if they don't win that game, they're not the the NJAC automatic uh, qualifier. And then Wesley takes the the automatic bid, which opens up 
uh, a at-large spot for someone else. Um, when you when you compare the final resumes of say Guilford and Whitworth, they were basically virtually identical, despite the teams being 2,700 miles apart from each other and and even further figuratively apart from each other in, in the sense that they don't play anywhere near any common opponents. Um, there was Platteville, there was Ohio Northern, um, there were some, you know, RPI was a two-loss team that, that maybe had a shot, but there were also, there were seven or eight going into uh, Saturday night when you when you know you sat down to do the bracketology show there's seven or eight nine and one teams before you even got to those eight and two teams so um, there were four clear-cut at-large teams and then I thought the last two were, were quite quite compelling and and that was part of the reason to listen to the bracketology show on Saturday night I thought it was a pretty good uh, bracketology show. We just obviously did not hit on all of the bracketing or uh, the ology. Uh, we will talk quite a bit about uh, playoff picks and uh, our surprises and disappointments. Not like the surprises and disappointments that uh, Ryan Tips will have in his column this week where uh, we go through bracket by bracket. But uh, Keith and I uh, have kind of co-opted something that Keith did in Around the Nation when he was the columnist. And uh, we'll be talking through categories about uh, what we thought the committee got right, what we thought they missed on that sort of thing uh, before we get to that though um, I wanted to uh, just express I guess some gratitude some gratefulness which I think is pretty much the same as gratitude if I remember my Latin roots correctly um, for the uh, for the NCA going back to having a, a division three voice on the selection show so um, you know as uh, if, if you've been around uh, for more than five years, you might remember that we used to have a selection show on one of the ESPN platforms. Sometimes it was on ESPN News, sometimes it was on ESPNU. Um, and I, uh, from 2003 or so to 2010, I was the uh, I was the the uh, the bracket analyst, um, and that was a lot of fun. And in all honesty, uh, a great experience for me. But I thought it was great because we had an opportunity to talk about Division Three uh, in a uh, in a venue where there are not a lot of Division Three experts uh, at ESPN, and we didn't have the, uh, you know, we wouldn't have had great representation for our bracket or good knowledge about what our uh, teams were doing if there wasn't somebody with uh, that expertise on there. And I felt we kind of missed that over the last four years. Um, wouldn't have bothered me if it was somebody else, just somebody who had Division Three football knowledge. Like it didn't bother me that Dave McHugh was chosen to do the basketball one last year. He certainly knows uh, basketball just as well as I do. Um, but I, I was really happy to have uh, that opportunity, and I just kind of wanted to say that before we got too far into this podcast. Well, as far as that goes, too, like uh, there's a Greg Thomas who you have on the bracketology show, and who started out, I guess, as you know, someone who posted frequently on the message boards, and we sort of got to know him through Twitter. Um, but is not, I guess, not somebody who considers bracketology his profession. Let's say um, it's it's simple enough if you follow it closely enough, where you can put the pieces together, where you guys can go through a show and you can recreate the process. Uh, you may end up with the you know thirty two thirty teams that you agree with the committee on, and two that you guys didn't agree on. But the the process is understandable enough that if you if you pay attention over the years and you understand it you can go through it but i think if you haven't done it and there there's every time 
every year this time there are misconceptions. You know, you have people tweeting at you <laughs> to put to put them in the field and you know, thinking that that we at D3Football.com make the brackets. So we try to spread the word about things like that. There's a <laughs> there's a, there's a selection committee, for example, of of eight um, ads and coaches and uh, associate ads, conference commissioners. Um, and they have regional committees who report to them, and they break down the playoff criteria, and that's how the the field is put together. So uh, it's a bracket that's yeah. interesting. I guess we'll get, go ahead and 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 get to talking about it. I think the besides the Mount Union and Whitewater being on the opposite sides, I think we do have a, a year, and I probably say this every year. Some years more true than others, but I think we have a handful. You know, whether it's eight or ten or six or five legitimate contenders. There are, there are quite a few teams, and, you, and we can't necessarily um, just say, can't wait to see these two teams in Salem. Uh, I've just taken to ignoring those people on Twitter. I don't think I responded pretty much to any of them this time around. Uh, and uh, this year with the process, too, it was really easy almost to go back in retrospect and and kind of reverse engineer and figure out exactly in which order the six teams came off of the board because it was very clear uh, by who got in and who didn't get in as to who could have been and not and was not discussed. But we'll move on because uh, we'll talk about that. So let's go through uh, let's go through our categories. First one, uh, we'll give the committee some benefit. The committee nailed, uh, and my uh, my item the committee uh, nailed I think is keeping the Northwest and American Southwest conferences from having to face each other in the second round. Now, I mean sometimes it's small pleasures when dealing with a bracket like this, and we get accustomed to those areas of the country getting screwed and screwed pretty hard. Um, to the point where we almost don't even talk about it. We just assume it's going to happen. Here they only get well. Uh, whatever slightly screwed would be, I guess. There's an extra layer of game C in between a possible Texas versus Linfield matchup, and we get to see Cortland or Salisbury make the long flight west, and the committee is taking the 25% or less chance that Hendricks and Mary Harden Baylor face each other, which would save a flight. But I, I like that bracket, that part of the bracket. Um, you know, other than uh, the uh, choice of one particular team that goes in it, but that's not a topic for this particular category. Well, my thing that the the committee got right is uh, it, it starts, we've got to back it up a little bit because the f- very first inclination, uh, at, at first when the, when the um, brackets come out 6 p.m. on Sunday or, you know, whatever time zone you're in when you when you get those, um, yeah, first the focus is always on who didn't get in, which matchups don't look good. Uh, being on the selection committee is clearly a thankless job. So to that end, for whatever gripes we have, the committee did actually nail two really important things. One, the number one seeds were Mount Union and three powers from the West region, as they should have been. Yep. Now, may, now maybe in the old days, Linfield, St. Thomas, and, and Wisconsin Oshkosh would have been all mashed into one bracket. And, and to that end, considering St. John's and, and Whitewater were, were also from the West, uh, imagine if we'd just done brackets strictly split or divided by quadrants uh, into West region. The West region would have been way too powerful. So they they definitely got that right as far as picking the correct number one seeds. And to that end, considering that the the Johnnies, the Warhawks, Mary Harden, Baylor, and Wesley were all at-large pool C teams, the committee did one really outstanding thing. 
They balance the 12 or so teams that are legitimate national title contenders. You have Tommy's Johnny's and, and Wabash Little Giants in one quadrant. Linfield, Mary Harden Baylor, Harden Simmons in another with, uh, with Salisbury and Cortland lurking over there. Uh, Mount Union, at least they have to go through Wesley and undefeated Johns Hopkins to get through their quadrant. And then you have Oshkosh, Wisconsin Whitewater, and Wheaton all in a fourth quadrant and uh, maybe Ohio Northern lurking in, in that one. I would have preferred they separate the Mayak and Wyak teams and there was a very easy way to do it. Just flop the, the matchup that the Warhawks and, and Johnnies were given. Both would still be within 500 miles of St. Norbert and Dubuque, and both would still host in the first round. So I, I do think they, they missed that. I don't love the Northwest Conference or American Southwest rematches out of the gate, especially with Laverne in the field to potentially break that up since somebody has to fly uh, when you have five island teams. But I think the gripes I have are all first and, and second round gripes. And in the end, the bracket is balanced so that the quarterfinals and semifinals should both be fair and very entertaining. And on that count, the committee scored big. Yeah, uh, um, you know, re forcing a possible rematch between St. John's and St. Thomas in the second round doesn't make any sense to me. And uh, we did multiple mock brackets that suggested it was easy to do it otherwise, but uh, this committee doesn't seem like it likes mock bracketing. So uh, I'm sorry, we're going to keep doing mock bracketing. Um, let's see. What, one of the things the committee uh, uh, the committee blew. How about the West Region rankings that kept Platteville out of the field? Uh, on in the huddle, you know that's the East Region slash Liberty League show. Uh, Jack McKiernan, he's the uh, Kane AD and the uh, national chair, said the West Committee just kept the rankings the same as the previous week. But I, I think, in all honesty, that's just irresponsible. Uh, the rankings have to be based on 11 weeks of results, not 10 weeks. Otherwise, you're just not judging a team on its entire schedule. I don't know why the Wyack reps on the on the panel didn't fight harder for uh, wisconsin Platteville being above Wetworth. Uh, the West could have gotten both Platteville and Whitworth in. Maybe it's the decision-making process that needs to change. The only reason that Ohio Northern got in and Platteville didn't is because the West Committee put them in a different order, maybe the wrong order, and they were never on the table at the same time. At every point in the criteria, Platteville's a better playoff candidate than Ohio Northern, hands down. Better strength of schedule. I mean, Ohio Northern, sub-500 strength of schedule and two losses. Uh, Platteville beat two regionally ranked teams. And uh, Ohio Northern beat one if John Carroll remained in the in the regional rankings at all. Uh, that to me is incredibly frustrating. The North Committee really played the West Committee in this one. And and the really the only counter argument, and this is not anecdotal. What's a um, Ter tertiary criteria? Su su it's just <laughs> subjective. Yeah. Uh, say well, you know, Platteville was third place in its conference. Uh, and and you know whether it's a mighty conference, it's hard to hard to have a gripe about getting in the playoffs when you were you were a third place team in your own conference. But Platteville's non conference schedule, as you mentioned, uh, can, they had the win over North Central, and North Central probably could have done a little more to help them out um, over the course of their season. Um, the win over Dubuque, who got in the field, and then of course the the close losses, well the close loss to to Whitewater, and then the, and then the big loss to Oshkosh. Just just that alone, you have five four playoff caliber teams yeah. out of the ten on your schedule. Uh, Platteville certainly had a, had a pretty good case, and uh, and as you guys mentioned, and as several people talked about on Sunday night, uh, just the way 
there are four teams being discussed at any given time and the way teams must have been discussed yeah. uh, just meant that because Whitworth was on the board and Whitworth kept not getting in um, and Platteville was ranked behind Whitworth, that Platteville was basically never on the board at, at the point where it could have been taken over Ohio Northern. So Yeah, I think uh, I think it's pretty clear Whitworth was the last team in, just because you kind of go back and reverse engineer things. Uh, and then Ohio Northern was the second to last team in, because the previous four were pretty easy picks. I think uh, pretty much anybody who uh, looked at that with an objective eye would have picked the same four teams first, too. Yeah, th- those were no-brainers. And another no-brainer, in all honesty, would have been keeping Mount Union and Whitewater on opposite sides of the bracket. Look, the Purple Raiders were their usual 10-0 dominant regular season selves, and Whitewater, they were coming in as a 9-1 Pool C team, so the committee was under no obligation to put the teams that have met in nine of the past 10 Stag Bowls on opposite sides. But they kind of were, and it isn't like it couldn't have been done, as I laid out uh, in the previous discussion. Given that the one year St. Thomas made it to Salem didn't even have to beat Whitewater along the way. That was the year Whitewater went 7-3 and three and didn't make the playoffs. And we've gone now 10 full years without a team beating either Mountain Union or Whitewater in a playoff game. It feels artificial to have the guarantee that there won't be another title clash. Now, there's a, there's a counter argument to this, too. Maybe it's time. Maybe fans out there are tired of the same matchup and, and they celebrate this fact. You know, and maybe, in fact, it's probably kind of likely that um, the Purple Raiders and Warhawks meet in the semifinals where, uh, where a lot of the best playoff games have been the past three or four seasons anyway, 70 to 21 notwithstanding. But it just doesn't seem right that the brackets are what's preventing from another Mount Union Whitewater Stag Bowl instead of a team beating one or both of them. Man, we could talk for 10 minutes just about this, right? Um, one of the things I just want to not give short shrift to Oshkosh or Wheaton, uh, who uh, are standing in the way of Whitewater, uh, having a rematch with Mount Union. Um, I, I guess my take on this is, um, you know, people have been bitching and moaning. I can say that right on this show. I, I guess so. I'm in charge. I uh, said screwed like <laughs> seven times. So, <laughs> oh, do I need to go through and take out the other references to Screwed? Because I don't think I'm done talking about that. No, I mean, we didn't build this as a family <laughs> podcast, right? It's for grown men who like football. Right? That's right. Um, and women. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what was I talking about? Um, oh, White, White people Water, bitching Mountain and moaning Union. about Boy- Mountain Union and Whitewater always being uh, set on opposite sides of the bracket. Well, hey, here's your chance. Damn it. You know, make something out of this 2015 season or stop griping about it. All right. That's about all I have to say. All I want to say is, uh, that's two things all, that are all I want to have to say. It's like uh, Keith giving out game balls. Um, I just, uh, I want to, uh, I want to make sure that we don't have, we don't go back to the old days where whoever wins out of, uh, whether it's Mountain Union or Whitewater or Oshkosh or Wheaton or Wesley or whatever, uh, then blows away somebody or frankly gets blown away in the stag bowl by somebody else and it turned out that the national championship was indeed uh decided in the semifinals that's one thing that we really haven't had over the last decade um and keith you and i have been following this long enough to where we remember where that used to happen yeah yeah the 48 7 stag bowls those weren't that fun to cover i much prefer even if it's mount union and whitewater again and again those games are uh, except with the exception of one, maybe two years. They're always great games all the way into the fourth quarter. So uh, for whatever they lack in fresh faces down in Salem, they make up for it in, in competitiveness and, and being compelling 
during the game. And, uh, and, and for those of us who are definitely going to be in Salem, no matter who's playing, um, that's a big deal. Um, the one, you know, I'm, crit- I'm being critical because I think they re- it wouldn't have been that hard to, to switch sides. Yeah. And I know that, um, you know, one of the things we did get from that in the huddle interview with the committee chair and, and uh, so gracious that, that the committee chair does the, those interviews every year. Some years they are more informative or more combative than others. This year was fairly, I thought the, it was fairly cordial. And, um, you know, Jack was pretty honest about what it's like to be on the inside of the room there. Um, but what he, he said was that they basically didn't care uh, or they didn't pay any attention or didn't make any effort to separate the teams uh, put or put Mount Union and Whitewater on opposite sides, that they just uh, let the chips fall where they where they made. They went through different permutations. They settled on this bracket. This was the best one, and um, and and that's the way it was. And, and again, you know, they were no, under no obligation because Whitewater is 9-1. and one. They didn't have to to go sideways. Uh, they didn't have to put them on opposite sides. But the one thing they did do correctly um, by not putting them together is they, like, they did nail the number one seeds. You do have, uh, even if you just, if you went by our rankings, which yep. again, you know, they're not, our rankings have nothing to do with the playoff selection process, but they are a, I guess, objective form of, of uh, showing you where every team is, where, where strength is balanced or where it belongs or however you want to phrase that. Obviously, you'd do it a lot better than I just did there. Um, but the number one team, the number two team, number three team, number four team, they're all on, um, they're all top seeds in in uh, separate brackets. So they did that right. I just thought it wouldn't have been that hard to get our fifth ranked team uh, on the other side from Mountain Union just to preserve that possibility. Again, because the playoffs are about making teams earn it and uh, and now somebody's going to get not a free pass to Salem you still have to win four times to get there but um but it's certainly uh um just a little different yeah 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 it's different uh let's see traditionally we talk about teams that played themselves into the field during week 11 we've kind of mentioned that uh uh, there were not a lot of uh these opportunities but I, I wanted to spotlight uh Lakeland um, because there were a few teams that won head-to-head games for the conference title. Muskies are one of them. Uh, they're the smallest school, um, okay, the smallest co-ed school in the field with about 900 full-time undergraduates. Uh, they have a tough task, obviously, in front of them heading to Wheaton. But they have a new coach in Colin Burton this year. Uh, they have a sophomore quarterback. That was the guy who was on the front page uh, when we talked about uh, Triple Take, if you visited over the weekend. And uh, if nothing else, the experience will help them build the program for future seasons. Uh, Lakeland uh, defeated Benedictine to win the knack and get its first trip to the tournament. This is, this is the first trip, playoff trip for Lakeland. They were one of the undefeated teams that was left out of the playoffs in the 1990s under the old system when we only had four teams advance out of each region. Well, I think Salisbury played themselves in in week 11. Uh, that was the chalkiest week 11 I can remember. We touched on it earlier in the podcast. It was almost completely devoid of surprises that affected the playoff field. The one shocker was seeing the Seagulls trailing Frostburg State 27-7 at the end of three, a result possibly met with glee from Pool C hopefuls across the country because has Web- had Wesley been the NJAC's automatic qualifier, one more spot for an at-large team would have opened up. Platteville. The other shocker was Salisbury's rally to a 28-27 win with three touchdown passes in the fourth quarter. Yeah, uh, that was nice. Yeah, I just 
I couldn't believe I was reading them. They, they, that is a team that runs, you know, if they throw 10 times in a game, it's a, it's a big deal to them. But uh, they've, they've added that dimension, or at least they figured out when they're down 20, you got to huck it and chuck it a little bit. Uh, and it certainly makes an interesting bookend on a regular season that began with the Seagulls blowing a 23-3 lead when Albright, who was also in the playoff field, um, they lost that game back in week one. Salisbury's draw is interesting, too, because either they or Cortland State is going out west in round two. Although I wonder if Whitworth won, would it host? Uh, anyway, Salisbury nearly played its way out of the field in three quarters, then in one quarter played its way back in. And if they're lucky, they'll play themselves out to Oregon. If we talk about teams that played themselves out during week 11, uh, I know you've got one you want to talk about. In all honesty... I'm not sure there's a second. Is there a is there a second team? Is there anybody else for me to talk about other than uh, Moravian, who's on your list? Yeah, and and I don't know if Moravian truly played itself out, but at least the, it played itself off the table. Off they the would bubble. have, yeah, yeah, they would have gotten discussed. They would have gotten on the table and been uh, conversed about. I'm sure. Yeah, basically everyone on the bubble did what they had to do on Saturday, except for the Greyhounds, who finished eight and two by losing to rival Muhlenberg, who also finished. Eight and two. It saved Moravian a day of angst as they probably would have been left out the way Guilford was left. The Greyhounds instead get a Mac Centennial Bowl game at Delaware Valley, also eight and two, uh, while the Mules get to host Stevenson. It's the first year the two Pennsylvania focused conferences held their own consolation bowls, and with this many eight and two teams, it's actually not a bad idea. Something like this in, say, the CCIW would have given Illinois Wesleyan some incentive to finish strong after Wheaton dashed their conference title and playoff hopes back in Week 10. The Titans, no doubt deflated, lost their finale to North Park. I think about the team who's like the polar opposite to that. Uh, I think about Wittenberg. Uh, Wittenberg was basically out of the running for the North Coast title months ago, practically, it seems. Uh, you know, once they'd uh, once they played Wabash, once they played DePaul, lost to both of them, uh, guaranteed finishing no better than eight and two. You didn't really know what uh, Wittenberg would uh, be like going down the stretch, but they finished it out. They finished eight and two. Um, you know, maybe a a a bowl game between John Carroll and Wittenberg. That would be a game that I think I would pay some attention to. Uh, something like. Um, <laughs> Platteville, I may have heard it, may have mentioned that name before, uh, against uh, Illinois Wesleyan. I'd probably pay some attention to that, although I don't know how motivated Platteville would be after getting snubbed. Um, you know, those are the sorts of things that, uh, you know, now that the mystique of the ECAC being the only team that could possibly create bowl games like this has been kind of, uh, kind of shattered, why not? Why can't we have uh, bowl games for runners-up? They have them in Division Two. Uh, we certainly know that they have them up in uh, FBS, so why not have more of them here at the Division Three level? I don't see, I don't see what uh, what's hurt, and I think what's gained is a opportunity for some cool postseason games and for kids to play in an eleventh game. I mean, the opportunity is out there; it's available; it's legal. Why not take advantage of it? Aren't we all about participation and competition here in Division Three? <laughs> well, Pat, there also I, I counted this up. Uh, there were thirty-one teams with uh, that finished the season with two losses vast majority of them eight and two um, one two three four five six seven seven of them got in the postseason by virtue of winning their conference there was uh, also six and four Norwich that got in there were there were also 27 more in addition to those 31 two loss teams there were 27 more seven and three teams the original reason I compiled those numbers was just to say that if you felt like hey we were seven and two eight and two why weren't we on the bubble too well there's 
50, what's the math there? 58 um, teams that lost either two or uh, two or three games. So obviously they can't all be on the bubble for a 32 team field when there were also 11 unbeaten teams and 17 uh, one loss teams. But when you have that many, that many 50, if you have 58, two and three loss teams, that actually would make uh, quite a bit of of uh, interesting uh, candidates for bowl matchups if uh, if more teams were to go the route that the Centennial and the MAC are going. Let's see. What's the most intriguing thing in this bracket you think people might have missed? Uh, one thing that I pulled out, uh, well, my best note on this is something I said in the selection show, so I'll, I'll, I'll find something else. Um, I think I see one first round matchup that was put together perhaps by the, the storyline folks, because we have a great pairing between Western New England and Johns Hopkins. Uh, that's the mentor versus the master as uh, Western New England is coached by Keith Emery, who is Jim Margrass, former assistant at Johns Hopkins. And at 67 and 44 over the past decade plus, he's done pretty well for himself with the Golden Bears. Yeah, our readers are pretty savvy these days, so I don't know if we see much that they miss, although we probably spend more time staring at this bracket and maybe we notice some things. And here's one that I noticed. Three 10-0 teams on the road in round one. Two of them matched up against other 10-0 teams. Uh, so, you know, so, so much for going unbeaten and getting a nice draw. St. Norbert, by the way, 10-0 at Whitewater in round one. The other two 10-0 teams on the road in round one, Western New England, who you just mentioned, and, uh, and Washington and Lee uh, at Thomas Moore. Yeah, and, and that one is my best first-round game. I, I'm very interested to see what uh, Thomas Moore and how Thomas Moore and WNL match up. Um, you know, some of those other 10-0 teams, well, you know, not every 10-0 team is created equal. And if you get to 10-0 without playing anybody who's regionally ranked or, you know, within um, within shouting distance of getting regionally ranked, that's fine. You know, you'll get in the playoffs, but don't expect a first-round playoff pairing that's uh, on a silver platter, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Well, I know a couple of teams out in Texas who didn't get a first-round matchup on a silver platter, but they're uh, they're used to it by now. They're hardened buy it oh gosh um, I, I swear to do that on, on purpose <laughs> yeah. but it, it did come to me about five seconds before i said it anyway i don't think there's any question the rematch of mary harden baylor and harden simmons who played a 29 26 game decided in the final minutes a few weeks back is the top game of round one uh, I also think the two two-loss teams who switched conferences and faced some stiff competition all year long meet in round one in, in Salisbury now of the NJAC and Cortland State now of the Empire 8. Uh, that's one worth worth watching in round one. I also think, um, you know, Framingham State, uh, Washington Lee, and maybe even uh, Albion at, uh, at Wabash, tough first-round draws going on the road to Wesley, Thomas Moore, Wabash, uh, respectively. I wouldn't be surprised if they were more competitive than uh, than most observers would suspect. I think all those teams were probably with a different matchup. You know, would be a team that you'd expect to to either win a playoff game or maybe pull off a surprise. I think Albion and Wabash play a regular season series starting next season. Um, hey, the, they they do. So for one yep. of those teams, they're they're going to play the same team back to back. Ah, yep, that is true. Good point. That's not that's happened before too. What about yes. Franklin White? Did Franklin play Whitewater two games in a row, or like three times in twelve games, or something? Even I was hoping you were just going to leave it at that happened before because I don't have it off the top of my head. <laughs> that I have a lot of weird D three facts that I can remember. I just remember uh, that one. I don't know for sure. Everything happens in Division three football. We've uh, we've we've established that uh, over the past few weeks. Let's see. Uh, toughest path to Salem is next on our list. 
Um, just looking at the path that Whitewater would have to take to defend its title is pretty harsh. I mean, again, not that that's inappropriate because they did go 9-1, and one, but uh, let's see, starting with St. Norbert and then likely playing Wheaton potentially, uh, Wisconsin Oshkosh, and then Mountain Union just to get back to the Stag Bowl. Uh, that's a pretty tough path, and it would be filled with uh, almost entirely road games to boot after this weekend. Well, we have six top 25 voters who think Linfield is the best team in the country. They actually have a pretty rough road to uh, to get to Salem and prove it. But at the end of it could be the long-anticipated game against Mount Union that is still yet to happen. Long, these are Long, long-anticipated. Yeah, these are the only purple powers, I guess, that have never met each other, right? No matter which purple you throw in there, St. Thomas versus uh, Whitewater, they've played. They've played Linfield, Mary Harden Baylor's played Mount Union. All the purple teams have played each other pretty much, except for these two. So let's say Linfield gets past conference rival Whitworth again in round one. Then they get either the Empire 8 or NJAC champ in round two. All right, you know, they're fairly well warmed up. The quarterfinals could get rough, though, with either Mary Harden-Baylor or Harden-Simmons. Then the semis would be either the Tommies, Johnnies, or Little Giants, most likely. And only then could they be left standing, but the stag opponent would be Mount Union, Whitewater, Oshkosh, Wheaton, or Wesley. That's a youch. Yeah, yep, That's a that would be a, a, pretty, uh, a pretty impressive run uh, for either them or... You know, for uh, Mary Harden-Baylor or Harden-Simmons, who would come out of something pretty similar, although not having uh, at least the opportunity they would have to face Huntington or Hendricks. That's, uh, we'll talk about that later. Never mind. We'll move on. Uh, road team most deserving of a home game um, is something we've traditionally talked about. I didn't think we did. We didn't have as much of that this year. Um, and in years, uh, recent years, they've done a pretty good job, I think, of giving home field advantage to everybody who deserves it. But uh, Mary Harden Baylor is certainly one of those teams this year that most deserved a home game and a different opponent. But as uh, Keith kind of referenced above, the geography conspires against them. Uh, that and the fact that Mary Harden Baylor didn't run the table either. But I don't really have a particular feeling for anyone else who didn't get a first round home game. This bracket, this entire entire field was very much constructed with the intent to manage costs and and beyond just the first round. You can almost look at this thing as eight four-team pods, which explains, say, the four South teams being put together, why the Johnnies and Tommies might play again in round two, why WNL and Thomas Moore are both 10-0 and and they face off for the right to play Wabash. They're all within uh, 500 miles of, of Crawfordsville. Uh, for everything these brackets aren't, they are well constructed as cost considerations go, and even many of the flights that have to take place may be short ones. For example, in that that southern four there, uh, you know, if, if Huntington and, and Harden-Simmons have to fly. Harden-Simmons, by the way, could almost literally drive in a straight line and uh, and end up at Huntington, but uh, it's about 800 miles or eight hours, something like that. It's, way, it's much too far. Um, so uh, so I guess I, I lost my train of thought. But to answer the question or the fill in the category, road team uh, most deserving of a home game, I think WNL, conference champion, going on the road to play another 10-0 team from a conference of similar strength, didn't get the, uh, the best draw. I mean, you, you talk about uh, cost containment in later rounds. I actually think this bracket is uh, is – um, is pretty interesting in terms of providing for some interregional matchup. Uh, you remember, of course, we had um, we had Salisbury go to Wisconsin Whitewater, and we had Hobart yep. go to St. Thomas um, in a year where they felt like they were going to spend a little more money, and then the purse strings got pulled back. Um, but you know, now this year we've got. Um, at the other end of the St. Thomas, St. John's, Dubuque, Laverne bracket, we've got Thomas Moore, WNL, Albion, and Wabash. Um, 
none of those teams can drive to uh, St. Thomas or to St. John's. Um, and I don't think any of them, uh, I know Wabash can drive to Dubuque because that was a first round matchup I had uh, put in at some point. Um, and then also, right, of course, uh, Salisbury going all the way across to the West Coast where they could have contained costs even more by the screwing, which uh, was previously mentioned. So, you know, I mean, they could have done uh, they could have done this a lot worse, I guess. It, it, um, it seems like in the quarterfinals, uh, at least they're willing to spend some money and some years they haven't been. I guess we'll take what we can get. I mean, the one thing I, I have noticed is if you flip some of these matchups, uh, the 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 second round matchup is really monstrous. Like if you were to put Salisbury and Cortland somewhere else, and and then keep the Laverne St. Thomas game close to Linfield and Whitworth, so that the West Coast teams could still play. Oh. You know, to keep those flights shorter, you'd have a monster St. Thomas Linfield second round game. If that you flip the if you flip the Johnnies and and the Warhawks, as I suggested earlier, which I don't think is a bad idea. Um, you know, St. Thomas Whitewater second round to be a pretty monster second round game. But I think St. John St. Thomas is going to be uh, a pretty monster second round game. So there were certainly some road teams that deserved home games and uh, probably a couple of uh, home teams that weren't very deserving. Yeah, I think uh, Huntington is certainly a home team that's uh, got a game based solely on the geography. Uh, that first round and second round matchup is a lot like when Maryville went to Hampton Sydney a couple of years ago with the winner then going to Linfield. It's like this bracket's number six and number eight teams are facing off for the right to face number two or number three in the second round. For my least deserving home team, Franklin, they get the second to last or last team in the draw. We've determined that Ohio Northern, right? Second to last in. Uh, they play at home and they were they went eight and two and won one of the nation's weakest conferences. And that gets you that gets you a home game while ten and O teams also from weak conferences uh, have to go on the road. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a that's a very good point. Uh, but they were regionally ranked, uh, and I think one of those losses is Butler, right? Aren't they still playing Butler? So, um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And they would give them a little credit for uh, for playing uh, Illinois oh, Wesleyan, yeah. who uh, missed the playoff field, but it was a fairly decent team from CCIW. Let's see. What would we have liked to see? That's the next category. Uh, I'm already well on the record on this all over the darn place. How about, I'll put it this way. I would have liked to see some consistency and have the West Region Committee rank teams in the same way the North did. Well, the one thing that's... I know I'm, I know off, I'm beating this horse pretty hard, but... Well, that, I'm not, it, I don't want to get off on a long tangent, but... The committees change every, you know, two. You have two years on, and you rotate off. Or uh, I think Dewey Nats has been on longer than two years, yeah. but um, so you maybe you can, you know, you maybe you serve two or four years. Um, but but it's it's never the same eight people. And below that, on the regional committees, those those seats turn over as well. So uh, there is some, and 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 uh, Jack mentioned this on the um, on the in the huddle interview. There is some human element. Excuse me to all of it. Yeah. But it but it is weird that the human element between regions uh you know the things should be a little more consistent because it's weird when it comes down to a a final playoff spot uh decided by you know the the way teams were were ordered uh in one region doing it a little differently than the other. The the job of the national committee is to fix those inconsistencies inconsistencies in all honest but in all honesty but enough I know I get it I've beaten this horse a lot. Uh what what would you have liked to see in this bracket? 
mm, a little more creativity uh, as we as I've laid out. This is not all bad. I think it's well balanced when it comes to the power teams. If this were a eight team, you know, essentially an eight or twelve team tournament, you'd have them. You have the right teams balanced as well as possible. I mean, even even down to the number one team having kind of the weakest other two challengers in in Wesley and Johns Hopkins. Um, but I think they they could have been a little more creative. Uh, I guess I get it by now with the American Southwest and NWC. But I feel like rematches could have been avoided, and there and there are really a lot of them. Um, the, there in the Mayak in round two, uh, even Dubuque and St. John's played earlier in the season, and I know they're not obligated to not make non-conference rematches. But um, but they they could have put Whitewater opposite Mount Union while the seeds more or less held. They could have been a little more creative, I think, with some of the matchups. I am so good at lightning rounds. And, uh, yeah, for all the consternation about Guilford and the others who are left on the bubble, uh, Wartburg nine and one. They took it pretty well, not con- being not considered. I think they took it pretty well from what I could see. Yeah, and maybe they just made peace with it a long time ago. Being losing it to Buke was a forty-five thirteen, you know, it's mm. week seven something like that. Um, but that's yeah, that's a nine and one team, and, and and a lot of these teams that are that were nine and one and not used to being nine and one uh, were 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 kind of making a making a big stink. And Warburg was was probably pretty disappointed about not going ten and zero again. I was uh, just happy to see that the top 25 voters finally got the order on that correctly. I mean, Dubuque beat Wartburg weeks and weeks and weeks ago, and finally they uh, flipped the order in the uh, in the rankings. Yeah, for a couple of weeks I didn't have to deal with that at all because I just wasn't voting for either of them. Uh, yeah. But there was that one week where, like, everybody below 17 lost, and then I, I had to really, you know, put, put Dubuque in, and then Wartburg's fortunes are tied to them, and then there was Bethel and all these other teams that were – uh, that were tied to uh, to to Warburg. So um, I think uh, it's kind of it's interesting while we're talking about rankings that uh, there's six teams from our top 25 that didn't make the playoff field, but it's actually not unprecedented. Um, the six teams that that we ranked in our week 11 top 25: number 14 Platteville, uh, number 15 North Central, number 17 Texas Lutheran, 19 Warburg, 23 John Carroll. 24 Guilford. We talked about pretty much all of them uh, during the podcast at one point or another, and the reasons uh, they're they're not in. If you go back two years, 2013, we had eight ranked teams that didn't get in the field, starting with number 11 uh, Wisconsin Oshkosh. Yeah, that's um. Well, we talked. To, is that that's not the no, that Oshkosh team? Which one was that? Now the years are going together. Is that an eight and two Oshkosh team? So, so 2012 was an eight where. Right, that was yep. the year they went to the semis. They yep. they lost to St. Thomas, so that would be the first year, the first post post where a year. Last year was a year they had three non non division losses, so they were six in one in D three. So this is the year in between those two years. Yeah, of which I can recall no discernible details. They were eight and two, I believe. <laughs> they, were, um, they were like they're like the Platteville version of this year. <laughs> You wrote most of this uh, lightning round. I, I'm so not sure how much you take need. this next one too. <laughs> I just want to say uh, we, we we spend so much time focusing on the playoffs as we should in a, in a um, podcast like this. But give a shout out to everyone who wasn't one of the final 32 teams because they hang it up uh, after Saturday. Although uh, there are a bunch of um, you know games 
bowl games to be played and uh, and that sort of thing. But pretty much um, two, maybe four fifths, two thirds uh, of D three played their final game on Saturday. Teams, you know, teams have twenty, twenty five seniors, sometimes fourteen or ten or or you know, single digit seniors. But that's a lot, a lot of guys across the country who played their final game. And a moment stuck out to me. I was at Randolph Macon. On Saturday, watching my alma mater beat Hampton Sydney for the fourth time in the past five games, and it, and it's a big deal because they weren't very good the past two years, but they salvaged their season uh, by beating the arch rival in the final game. Um, and then you see them take a picture in front of the scoreboard uh, at the end of the game. They'll get all the seniors together, and I, I remember thinking, like at that moment, like that's the picture that you will you'll look at in ten years and twenty years, and and um still bring up and laugh and joke about it because I was there with my guys from 97, 98, those teams. Um, and we we're, we're laughing about old times that happened literally almost 20 years ago now. So, so Saturday was, that was that moment for, for quite a few players across D3 coast to coast, you know, teams that weren't anywhere near the playoff hunt, but they, they had their final moment, uh, with the, with their team that they've grown to love over uh, several years, and I think we should uh, you know tip the the virtual cap to that. Yeah, we don't end up talking a lot about what happened in Week 11 that's outside of the playoff picture uh, in depth over the course of this podcast because we're very focused on what's coming up in Week 12. But I, I wanted to throw out uh, one thing, which uh, if you were really focused on playoff uh, implications this week, you might have missed – uh, that Ayrton Scott is a guy who we've mentioned over the course of the last four years uh, occasionally here on the podcast. He's the uh, starting quarterback for Augsburg, uh, and he finished his career second in Division Three history in total offense with 14,523 career yards. Uh, the guy holds the record, somebody probably you're pretty familiar with. That's Kevin Burke of uh, Mount Union, and uh, uh, Scott was only 45 yards short of that. Um, Augsburg uh, did that in uh, fantastically wild style on Saturday because, let's see, they recovered an onside kick, forced a fumble, scored a touchdown and a two-point conversion, uh, then stuffed Bethel on a fourth down and one from the Augsburg 14-yard line, uh, all in the last quarter of a 49-42 win over Bethel. In fact, two years in a row that Augsburg has won a, a wild game from Bethel in the last week of the regular season. Yeah, was it was it 62-61 uh, yeah, back it in was. 2014? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Whew. Uh, we do, as Pat mentioned, skip over most of our traditional categories, I guess, um, because we don't review week 11 like we review the other oh, weeks. Oh, oh. But, can I give Aaron Scott my game ball? Yeah, why not? <laughs> All right. I guess we don't skip over the categories. <laughs> um, but let's uh, hit a quick acknowledgement of the triple take picks, mostly because uh, you and, and Ryan Tips did pretty well uh, this week. Game of the week. Um, my mine was Mary Harden Baylor, East Texas Baptist. I was sixty-seven twenty. I was way off. Uh, Mona Mona Bell, Wabash Crush. But you, Pat, you picked Cordica Jug. Eleven-eight uh, game. Really must have been as that game has been now for several consecutive years. Outstanding game to be at. Um, you know, just stay out of trouble afterward. <laughs> and more so if you're a Cortland fan because they've won six of those in a row. Right, right, and I mean, you know, got to be digging the knife in for uh for for the Ithaca fans because they're right there uh, every year finding finding uh, new ways to not win that game. Uh, surprisingly close, mine was not close at all. I think I picked uh, Hanover to make it respectable in the Victory Bell game. Franklin hung sixty some odd points on them. It was forty four nothing at some point in that game. Uh, uh, you nailed it. You nailed it. I just I just give props to the to the people. Um, 
who deserve them. Uh, you, Frostburg, Salisbury, uh, was definitely surprisingly close one-point game. Yep. Uh, top 25 upset, I, I nailed uh, Case Western Reserve. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a handful of teams every year. Once, that, once you lose that game where your playoff spot, your conference title hopes go out the window, it's very hard to go back and motivate yourself to, to play just for, the, just for the joy of playing. It's easy for me to sit here and say that, but as a player, you put so much focus on that one big game, uh, you don't win it, and uh, it's very hard to play that final game. I think we saw that a couple places. I, I, bet, I would bet Illinois Wesleyan, uh, their loss to North Park had something to do with that as well. And you, and uh, you, picked, uh, you picked Carnegie Mellon, and that's a team that was coming in really hot too. Yeah, yeah, they were scoring like mad. Uh, they had like 53 points a game over their past six games or something like that. Um, play it, teams, play itself in. Tips, hit Lakeland. Uh, you mentioned that earlier in the podcast. Teams that played themselves out. Um, you had yeah. trying. Um, I also made an MIAA pick, although it was Olivet. And, and I think even the logic of the pick was that they, they basically, by beating Alma, uh, they hurt their they hurt their chances because they put that puts Albion in the field, but they had to win because otherwise uh, at nine and one they uh, they had no at large chance so they kind of were were screwed either way and uh, East Texas Baptist was Tip's pick so he he got that one too and then uh, I think we we said which rival will dance off into uh, the off season uh, and the intent there was kind of the the games that didn't have playoff implications. Uh, I picked RPI to beat Union. I went way out on a limb there as Union finished uh, 0-10 this yeah, season. Tough, tough uh, season for Union. Yeah, yeah. And you picked Amherst. And I guess you didn't go much further out on a limb, but that was a pretty good game, uh, 17-7. That was surprisingly close. Yeah, uh, Amherst beat Williams. So that was the quick triple take review, and it was basically also kind of our uh, what else happened in Week 11 review. Um, there, there were those rivalry games we mentioned Um all the three of them were, were pretty defensive final scores. Uh, Cortland State beat Ithaca 11-8. Randolph Macon beat Hampton Sydney 14-9, and Amherst beat Williams 17-7. So uh, high defense, high tension at a couple of those rivalry games. I was I was looking at the box score and some of the descriptions of the Hampton Sydney Randolph Macon game, and I saw that nobody scored in the final 44 minutes and 47 seconds or something like that, and I thought, damn. Keith got the game he of uh, game of his lifetime, man. Defensive <laughs> well, battle and uh, Randolph Macon beat its arch rival. Yeah, it, it's funny because I actually didn't see any of the points scored in that game. I heard some of them. Uh, you know, sometimes you're paying attention to different things, talking to friends. Um, but tailgating. I, yeah, I watched. The, you know, I watch. I have, I'm still the worst tailgater because I'm. I always watch the games. Um, but we actually, you know, Carvet found us a spot along the fence. Uh, for the second half, watched the whole game. I think four of my friends are high school coaches now, and it was great to watch the the fourth quarter of a defensive battle with high school coaches because they're all, ah, you got to punt it here. Fourth and one, no <laughs> way you go for it. And, and you know, Hampton Sydney went a couple times. They got stopped. Uh, there were some great defensive plays where, you know, the, with a coach, the guys who coach now, uh, you know, they, they, they saw all oh, the zone sweeps coming right here, and then they would, it would happen. So that was pretty cool. Uh, coming up next week, of course, uh, Keith mentioned uh, the uh, the Mac Centennial Bowl series. We also have those ECAC bowls. They're not going to be selected until Monday, although sometimes some of that stuff is already leaked out on Sunday. Uh, they're all those are the games that are all being played in uh, Central Connecticut State. So whatever 
have fun with that. Um, let's see. We mentioned North uh, Park beating Illinois Wesleyan as a surprise at a week 11. Also, TCNJ shutting out Rowan. And, and it just to, to kind of drive home something that we talked about maybe all the way back in week one with the Rowan-Widener game, how much that Rowan team was dependent on Whit Marcelin, the stud running back. Uh, you know, he got hurt a few weeks ago, and without him, Rowan just really not that good this year. Yeah, they were right in the in the title hunt for a while there, and uh, and they didn't end up that way. Uh, Pat, you mentioned surprises from Week 11. How about surprises for the whole season? We'll just hit a couple of these teams that were way better than we thought they were. Uh, I'm glad I don't have the kickoff predictions in, in front of me because I, I don't think we had Becker very high. They finished 7-3. and three. Uh, WPI, seven-win season. DePaul, uh, back to relevance. Tufts finished six and two. North Park, we mentioned, big upset at the end of that season. Uh, Puget Sound used to be the doormat in uh, in the Northwest Conference. They finished six and three. I think we picked that one, if I remember correctly. Yes, yeah, we did see it coming, but I think for maybe because I just been doing this long enough, where I I can't get my mind around Puget Sound being a being a winning program. Although I did stop by when I was out there once in uh, Tacoma. They have a really nice field, so you kind. Sometimes, you know, you make that connection like facilities, good location, you know, maybe eventually they'll get it together. Um, Hamlin is also in a pretty cool location, right? Right in the middle of middle Minneapolis. St. Paul, but yeah. St. Paul. You know, I, you're the Minnesota guy. It's all, they, it's all the are, same to me. They are different cities. I, I know. Uh, four and six might not be that impressive, but uh, but four wins for a team that's traditionally been not very good uh, in the mighty Mayak. That's a big deal. Uh, St. John Fisher, how about them rallying from uh, four, that 48 nothing loss way back in week one, or at least in their opener against Thomas Moore? We were stunned. Uh, they, they rallied to finish 7-3, and three, almost pushed their way into the playoffs as the Empire 8 representative uh, beat Alfred in the, uh, in the final game. Trinity, Texas, they, uh, they won eight games, although four of them came against Southwestern and Austin. They played each of those teams twice and swept them, so they went 4-0 they went against those two. Uh, Westminster, Pennsylvania, Probably one of those teams that we just never talk about because they're always right in the middle of, of mediocre. Uh, they won eight games this season. And, and Keith, be a- Keith, 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 we picked uh, Westminster to go seven and three, by the way. I remember that prediction coming in going, why, why, what, how, what, we're, you know, when someone goes to and predicts a team to finish five wins or so better than the previous season, it's always kind of something that raises uh, eyebrows. But uh, that was one that was correct. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, and that's why you you know you get you get kick off. You let the experts uh, deal with uh, all the coaches in their um, in their area, and uh, and sometimes they're 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 on to things. And we picked WNL, and I I think we saw that one too, and we were like, hey, is that the right is that the right pick? And, the, and they end up finishing uh, ten and zero. So uh, Westminster won eight games, and it wouldn't be a podcast if we didn't uh, mention Finlandia, three wins in their inaugural season. Actually, a pretty big deal. Well, Keith, I'm glad you brought that up because knowing how much we love uh, or how much I love to talk about Finlandia on this podcast, Adam Turr talked to their coach, Tim Driscoll, after the Lions game versus the Lions of Mount St. Joseph. Full season now, you know, how, how different is a game now than it was 11 weeks ago? 
you know, you know, the game, you know, this game comparing that to the Alma game that we played is, uh, you know, it's night and day because we kind of knew what to expect, and, and uh, we still let a few things slip and gave up the long, you know, gave up some big plays and gave up the long punt return and everything, and that's, you know, that's what a veteran team doesn't do, and and uh, we we just need to uh, use the experience that we've gained. Now, um, you, you know, I, I talked to the guys before the game. Hey, you know, you, you're not a you're not a freshman team anymore. You know, you're not a young team. We've we've uh, we played nine games before this one, and. Uh, um, you know, it's it's uh, easier going into it. They know what to expect. They know going in the locker room. They know how to make adjustments. Come back in in the third quarter, and um, you know we've taken a huge step as a football program. You know, and it's it's nice to be able to get a few games where you know we're more competitive and we got a few wins. And, and uh, you know, we just need to be able to take on veteran programs now and uh, and, and compete at that level. And as you get ready now for your first off-season after playing a season, you know, what's the direction, what's the emphasis going into this off-season now that they've had that experience of 10 games? Well, we, we really just, we, we want to develop the core of this team. You know, we, we want to find a core of leaders that can bring us into the off-season and, and uh, you know, make sure guys are doing the right things out the field and getting things done in the classroom, you know, now in the off-season. But, um, you know, this this year in the weight room is going to be, it's going to be huge for those guys. I mean, we're going to grow so much and, and uh, you know, get much stronger and get faster and and uh, you know have returners coming for next year that's going to be you know that's going to be outstanding uh those were the surprises uh you kind of mentioned at least one of the disappointments i think or at least we referenced it or maybe i've just read it so many times that uh mit they went uh went from going uh, 10 and 0 and going to the playoffs to going 2 and 8 uh, obviously a testament to a fantastic 2014 senior class uh widener is Widener maybe one of those teams that just kind of um, didn't uh, didn't show up as motivated in Week 11, kind of like Illinois Wesleyan did? I, I, it sounded like uh, Delaware Valley just kind of had their way with them, and uh, Widener finished six and four. Bethel, we talked about their loss to uh, their loss to Augsburg. They finished five and five. I know that they had a quarterback get injured. That doesn't help matters, but uh, that's a, a long way from the playoff team that they had been in the past. And Chapman, I, Chapman go from eight and one or nine and zero oh, uh, last year. They were four and five this year. Yeah, big big fall off. I think maybe the biggest surprise in that group. Um, yeah, maybe Chapman. I think we we. Uh, I, I don't know if I saw Bethel being five and five, but certainly. Um, I don't think I saw anybody see MIT being two and eight. I mean, that's no, that's um, that's not. I mean, it's you know, it's a conference in which. You ought to be able to be competitive with more than a couple of teams. That's true. Coming up this week, we have all sorts of things. Let's see. Play of the week. Uh, we are still doing play of the week, so please send your nominations by 5 p.m. Eastern time on Monday, although you know, usually we get them by 5 p.m. Central time, and that's perfectly acceptable most weeks, and it will be this week as well. Um, Let's see. Uh, I mentioned briefly earlier, Ryan Tips, uh, Around the Nation columnist, will be uh, corralling our annual surprises and disappointments column where we break down the tournament field and give you our potential Cinderella teams. Uh, and then we'll have team capsules, our capsules of all 32 playoff teams as well. Um, we'll have a final round of Around the Region this week. Um, and, uh, you know, SIDs, you're going to get an email from me today, but remember all region nominations are open. As long as your all conference team has been named, you can go ahead and nominate anybody from your first or second team. Um, but Keith, man, it's a, it's a busy week. I, I felt like at the end of last week, I was beginning to work ahead on stuff. 
we had some playoff capsules written and now all of a sudden it comes and bam it's like this big um you know someone's uh, dumped a pile of tps reports on my desk that, I, that we have to work <laughs> through now no we need 32 volunteers we do 32 volunteers. You know, someone tried to crowdsource team capsules for basketball because there's uh, 58 plus or no, 62 mm. plus 64. So 126 uh, basketball teams that make the playoffs and not possible for us to do capsules in four days for that. Um, someone tried to crowdsource those. Uh, we could just crowdsource a handful of uh, volunteers to help out. That's kind of basically what I do anyway, though. I just reach out to people who I know follow those teams and try to get some of the right. inside scoop on that for people. And that's why those are so valuable to read because I could tell you, I don't know, you know some facts about Western New England, but I don't know um, how you know when they're when they're playing well and and how you know they're off to a bad start and then those capsules that that's one of my favorite categories in those. Yeah, um, we're adding one little line item to it this year. Uh, I wanted to give a little context to uh, team statistics and teams records. So right underneath the the area where we're talking about uh, rushing and receiving yards, rushing and passing yards, uh, we're adding strength of schedule. So. You're adding, uh, at least it's a number that's already compiled. Right, exactly. I'm not asking somebody to uh, create or finagle something. I'm just going to go and copy and paste into 32 files. That's not time-consuming at all. Well, for you. (laughs) So that, folks, as we uh, pass the one-hour mark, that was the Around the Nation podcast, number 142 for the week of November 16th, 2015. Thanks for listening. And, uh, again, keep, uh, keep an eye on the rest of our coverage throughout the week. Also... The, uh, the the uh, bracket challenge, go to d3challenge.com. I believe it's d3challenge.com. Our friends over at d3photo uh, kind of spun off a whole new uh, website for that, d3challenge.com. And uh, test your bracket knowledge against the uh, the rest of the Division Three Nation. If you like our podcast, give us a rating in your uh, favorite uh, podcast store, iTunes. That'll help other football fans find it. And uh, thanks once again for following Division Three Football on d3football.com. Just so you know, the podcast doesn't go away. We still do this every week from now through the end of the Stag Bowl. In fact, Keith and I will be up there in that press box seven hours after the game ends in uh, Salem, finishing up this podcast, or at least that's what it seems like. So uh, stick with us. We will still bring you all the playoff coverage. And remember, hey, at least you don't have to worry about a Mount Union Whitewater Stag Bowl this year. So for the other 245 teams, that's uh, your Christmas present from the National Committee. Thanks, everybody. My Christmas present is Mac and Bob's and Chick-fil-A up in the press box in Salem. I think my Christmas present probably is the fact that the stag was two days before my birthday, so I'm not spending my birthday in the press box in Salem. Although that's not the worst place to be.